This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome in, Clay Travis. Wins and losses. We are back up and running with some of our long-form podcasts now that the Clay and Buck Show is uh, is rolling. I'm not on the road for the entire fall, not to complain, but 15 or 16 straight weekends in a row in a college football venue. Uh, it's, it's a lot of days in a row to work. We bring in now Senator Marco Rubio. I know he is one of the foremost fans of college and pro football, if I'm not mistaken, in the world of politics in general, Senator from Florida. Now, I'll actually start here because there's a fantastic article that one of our writers, I believe Armando Salguero, did at OutKick about your son and his high school football career. And I know you're a diehard Dolphins fan, so I want to start here and just get your read on this. I am a diehard Tennessee Titans fan. And after the loss to the Cincinnati Bengals in the playoffs, Senator, I'm over 40 years old and I couldn't sleep that night because I was so upset over the performance, over the three interceptions. I know you're a diehard Dolphins fan. What's the worst loss that you can remember where you thought to yourself, I'm way too old to care as much as I do about something that I don't have any direct impact on. Does that still get you in the gut sometimes, Dolphins losses? Do you remember one where you were like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable? Well, you know, I think what happens is, like anything else, you build immunity to these things, just like COVID. (laughs) You build this immunity. So I want to say it was after the 94 season, the Dolphins lost this very close playoff game to the San Diego Chargers, which, which I thought was probably the last, time they've had a legitimate chance to have a team that could have made a run. I mean, that was the year if you remember in 93, Marino um, tore his uh, Achilles tendon for, and they have this team, and this team can win some games. I mean, they've got and they lose a game on the road to San Diego where uh, at least Pete Stojanovich misses this last second field goal. You know, if they win that game, I think they win the following week uh, um, and, and go to the to the Super Bowl. I think the, uh, I really think, I think it was the Steelers who ended up going that year. And, um, but nonetheless, I, um, I, I can, uh, I mean, I remember that vividly and it, that really haunted me that the following season, they just got rocked by, by the, uh, the bills and the playoff. And that was the end of Don Shula's uh, the tenure here with the Dolphins it was his last game. So that was a bad one. And that was way back, obviously. So, I mean, I mean, in the two thousands and the 2010s, um, they really haven't had any singular game like this. They really haven't been. I mean, they went to the playoffs twice since the, the last time the Dolphins won a playoff game was in 2000. Uh, yeah, or 2000 season, so maybe 2001. And they haven't won a playoff game since then, so it's been what, 23 years. And um, they've been to the playoffs twice since then. So I can't recall a game in the and that's a sad thing to say, you know, because I mean, usually it's like, okay, you got a team that you can have a chance, but like right now, we're, you know, I like when you're like, rooting to be like the seventh seed in the road wildcard team. I mean, it just tells you how far, how tough this franchise has had it for 20 years. The Titans, you know, they've been in the mix. I mean, I know it's frustrating to see what happened this season, how they came out at the end, but they're in the mix. You know, they got a thing going there where they got some players and a core that they've built around and 
And um, and so, you know, uh, but the Dolphins, I mean, it's been a while since they've, since they've mattered, and I hope that changes now. Are you a believer in Tua? I'm a believer. Well, look, I have no way. I always tell people this. Like, my assessment on Tua is based on 60 minutes of football, 17 weeks a year, right? I mean, I don't get to see him in practice. I don't get to – it's not what I do every day. So, uh, But I can tell you there are things he does that I think are unique. I think he has elite um, accuracy. I think he's a quick rhythm passer, a great, a very good rhythm passer. I think he's a guy that can put the ball in the hands of guys who can make yards after catch. And there's a lot of guys who have made their living in the NFL with that, you know. And I think the question is, he has to be in the right system, you know, with a, surrounded by the right talent, with a coach that believes in him and that's structured to make it work that way. So they spent the fifth pick on the draft on him, so they got to try to make it work, you know, with him and see what they can maximize from him. So uh, I think that uh, there are some things. Look, the one thing I remember about. He was a freshman. Do you remember this? What was he? 18, 19 years old. They put him in at halftime. This kid takes what I believe was like a twenty-something yard sack. It was like a an overtime against Georgia. It was like a wipeout sack. You know, like the craziest thing you ever saw. And then the next play, he comes in. He looks off the safety. Uh, um, I think uh, hit Smith down the left sideline for a That's touchdown. Right. They win the national championship. I mean, it, that was ice blood in his veins. I remember thinking, I mean, this kid's 19 years old and he's delivering, you know. And what's happened with quarterbacks, and you're seeing it now, you're seeing the fruits of it is, and I'm seeing it, I've been seeing it for years now. These kids are throwing into complex schemes. They're working on, I mean, they're 9, 10, 11 years old, these seven on seven tournaments. So by the time these guys make it to the NFL, these guys, some of them have had 10 to 12 years of elite quarterback training and they've thrown thousands and thousands of passes um, in seven on seven in high school football where everybody's throwing the ball around. And I think that's part of what happened with Tua coming in is, I mean, this guy had grown up in that sort of system and, and had been able to, and so maybe that moment wasn't too big for him. So I remember that day thinking, you know, there's something unique about this guy, you know, that he's able to do that, but I think he's got to be in the right place to make that work. You guys ever have any cross politics, meaning Democrat, Republican sports conversations on Capitol Hill? Like, is there a Democrat that you may not have much in common with politically, but you guys are both huge sports fans and you end up in conversation? I'm always just kind of curious. You're obviously in the world of politics, but is there any sort of reproachment or come together conversations surrounding what might have happened in the world of sports over the weekend if you've got a hearing on Monday like it would at a lot of other businesses or uh, you know what they used to call water cooler conversation back in the day yeah uh, when yeah. people Look, were actually in offices I'm curious how much how much discussion of sports there is uh, on Capitol Hill in your experience yeah yeah there is and I'll tell you I mean Obviously, some people more than others, and you're always pretty busy when you're up there. But, look, the Senate is different than the House. I'm not saying better. I'm just saying different. It's smaller. There's only 100 people, so everybody knows everybody. And eventually, you end up working with everybody there on something. The other thing is any one senator can blow up the whole place, like, you know, really slow down everything and slow down your stuff. So you really – there's just this built-in incentive to, like, you know, fight with someone on one issue but not make a permanent enemy out of them because, like, next week – they may be working with you on something else. And eventually that's what happens in the Senate is, you know, you can't get anything passed unless somebody from the other side is with you on it. So you've got to maintain these relationships. I think there are people that are more sport centric than others, obviously, um, you know, uh, so for example, on the Cory Booker played, as you know, in, at Stanford. So that's someone I've talked to a few times about uh, the recruiting process and then just college football writ large. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that, especially, you know, the thing about him and those guys is those West Coast games, man. I mean, you got to stay up till like three in the morning, right? To see. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Usually. I mean, Stanford comes across, a couple of the other guys come across time zones. Oregon would come across and play on the East. But I mean, if you're like a BYU fan, I mean, you got to be up until three in the morning in East Coast time on a Saturday night, you know, to, to see him play and all that. So I think that's where you lose some of it. These guys are. Um, and then we had some conversations about name, image, and likeness with a few people. But I, but I wouldn't say, it, I don't think it's, maybe it's just unique to me. I wouldn't say there's anybody that follows it, um, you know, as closely. Now, obviously, with Tuberville there, sort of everybody gravitates to him. I feel bad all the time because, like, as a U.S. senator, everybody always wants to talk to me about, what do you think about this, you know, college football related? And, and he's a very joyful guy and very happy to oblige everybody. But I'm like, you know, why don't you guys ask him about Ukraine or something, <laughs> you know? Uh, but but, uh, but having him there has kind of made him the magnet for both sides to kind of gravitate towards and talk about this stuff. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. 
And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. We're talking to Senator Marco Rubio. Your own football career uh I, I know you grew up in miami if i'm not mistaken and obviously yep. miami is a hotbed of, well, i grew up in uh, vegas you know i grew, I grew up in oh, vegas. I, we moved to miami so i was born in, in in miami when i was seven we moved to las vegas and then uh and then we came back when i was going into ninth grade so it was kind of that deal so what was it like growing up in vegas so, I mean, you know, everybody has the glitz and glamour. I'm going out there, I think, yeah. for the NCAA basketball tournament. That's one of the things that is one of the great times to be in Vegas. But uh, around the time that you were there, that had to be an, an interesting dynamic. I think your is it your dad who worked uh, in a casino? Yeah, both of my parents worked in the end. My, my mom was a maid at a hotel called the Imperial Palace. which um, And then my dad was a bartender at a place called Samstown. And uh, look, it was first of all, Vegas was not what it is now. It was much. How, did, how by the way, how did they make the move from Miami to Vegas? What was the? I mean, obviously, I'm I'm assuming maybe there was the idea jobs. that they were going to jobs, but they they didn't yeah, have I mean, the same opportunities in Miami. Yeah, yeah, it was just cheaper to live there, and there were a lot of jobs. There, um, uh, we had three aunts, three of my mom's sisters already lived there, and so they're like, yeah, you know, and it's true. I mean, you get there, and my dad found a job pretty quickly. My mom as well. It just wasn't hard to find service sector jobs that paid enough. And for them to own a home, and uh, and and that's kind of what happened, you know. And I do remember growing up, like my mom telling people, like, "Oh, I want to move." And I look back now at Iron. She said, "I want to move to a place that's a little bit, you know, more family friendly, you know, than Miami." And I'm and, and I look back and I'm saying, "So that Vegas, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what you yeah, right. But but, but from, from their perspective, you could be, she had family there, so she had that support network. I think that's the big thing that people forget about working class families. It's not just about moving. You're very rarely going to pick up and move somewhere that you don't have, you know, your cousins, your 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 sisters, your brothers, your aunts, your uncles. You're not going to do it because that's your support network. I mean, if if you got to go pick up a, a couch, you know, from the or refrigerator from from a store, it's your cousin's pickup you're going to use. I mean, with, uh, if you got to go somewhere, it's your you're going to leave your kids with your relatives. So we always had to be around family because that was our entire support network. And so Vegas was the only other city in the country where we had family or they could find a job. So it was a unique time to grow up there. You know, the city was smaller than it is now. Nellis Air Force Base used to fly the planes right over the city. Uh, so I remember seeing all those Air Force planes constantly flying over us. I went to a very you know mixed school, racially mixed school. Um, it, it was I don't know what the statistics were, but it was a, a substantially you know uh, minority um, African American and, and Mexican American um, school that a, a substantial majority of that. So it was just a 
it was a, I mean, I, I look back fondly at my, my memories of Las Vegas. Did you see the video that went viral of the kids in Las Vegas having it announced that they no longer had to wear masks? Did, did, I did, did you see yeah. did it? Did it make you I think did. back to when you were a public school kid in Las Vegas a little bit? Yeah, except probably, I mean, I guarantee the school they go to didn't even exist while I was there. And uh, yeah. that's just, it's grown so much. But it does. I mean, it makes you look back to that entire time and to this whole generation, right, of, of people that, kids in particular that have come of age. I mean, they don't have any memory of not having to wear this uh, a mask all the time. And and, and, I, and I just think that there comes this point, right, but it becomes this almost, I mean, it, it, what's happened in American life today is the stuff that you used to read in The Onion or Babylon Bee, you know, what was satire or, you know, satire and ironic and, and things that you make fun of there's stuff like that actually happening in the real world and so you tune into a super bowl game where you're watching this thing and i mean it's like what are they 75,000 8,000 people in the stadium and no one's wearing a mask the more famous you are the less masked you are and and then thinking on monday morning a bunch of kids in that city and across the country are going to have to go to school and wear a mask even the state of the union i don't know if you saw these rules they came up with to attend the state of the union um, I, I saw that they were going to let people go, but what are the rules? I haven't heard them specifically for well, March 1st when a, Biden speaks. A, yeah, so a negative COVID test 24 hours before. you got to wear a mask. you got to socially distance, so they're going to put members in the calorie and members on the floor. But it's all theater. It's all complete theater. Okay, look, I, I can tell you now for a fact, and I'm not going to call them out because I don't want to. You know, in the Senate, Democrats, you know, when the cameras are on, all of them, most of them are wearing a mask. But there are plenty of instances in which there are no cameras around where those masks are nowhere to be found. They don't have them on. Or you know, it's just it's, it's a theater at this point. It's almost like these are the rituals that you have to perform in this theater in order to prove you know, that, that you're, um, you know, that you're in the, on the right side of it. But, and that's what that State of the Union thing is. It's theater. It's all it is. Uh, there's nothing more about it. I, I wish the Super Bowl was in California and the SoFi. So we, I'm sorry. I wish the State of the Union was at SoFi Stadium in California. <laughs> we wouldn't have to wear all that stuff. What did you think? But I know you watched the Super Bowl, and that was one of the things that jumped out to me. Well, first of all, you're around my age. So I bet you grew up listening to Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre oh. and, and, and Eminem and all those guys. And so I loved the halftime show because to my mind the 90s and the early 2000s are like the greatest moments in American history right I mean I feel like everybody got along uh I feel like by and large you know we didn't have this cancel culture this identity politics it was everybody thought everybody agreed that we all had way more in common than we don't and by the way I still believe that but I think there's this whole thesis about social media and what it's done in terms of dividing us and certainly uh, I woke up this morning and I'm reading Axios's Morning Digest and it's like, hey, the squad has got Democrats terrified because it's led them into such a far left world. But were you like me? Did you grow up a fan of all those guys that were performing at halftime? Yeah, look, I mean, I've, I'll tell you something like I came I didn't I landed at the airport in D.C. on Monday and this guy from TMZ who's always there, a nice guy, I talked to him all the time and I saw him coming for me and I took evasive maneuvers because I didn't want to answer his question about the halftime show because it's just, <laughs> but look, I think it's time to be, look, I, look, I did. I like the halftime show. I, I yeah. mean, I, look, do I like the kneeling thing with Eminem? Did I like, you know, do I think that, And you know what, you by know, the way, I don't know that Eminem has, has commented, but I, I, what I noticed was Dr. Dre was playing on the piano a the few piano, bars right. of Tupac, right? Of one of right. Tupac's most famous songs. So I understand the, 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 but when I saw Eminem kneeling there, I took it as he's paying homage to Tupac. Now there's also the overlap with Kaepernick, uh, but that's the way that I took it watching it live because, you know, a part of me was like, man, I wish they would come out to California love and they would have the Tupac hologram and really I mean, well, remember that, all, that video put, right back in the day just, when they so you just put the, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was, the whole time I was sitting there thinking the problem with the hologram. Okay. And they did it at Coachella, but it was dark. Yep. The problem with the hologram is I don't know if you can pull that off in daylight. Oh, that's you know, a good that's point. The problem. But if they had done the hologram, they might they, they might not have been able to play the second half, so they might have had to delay it like forty five minutes because it would have just taken everybody out, you know. In terms of, I also think the the, the mentally it would have just shook everybody up. I think, and the hologram problem too is, I think it's harder to edit the hologram, you know, yeah. whatever film it is they have of it. I mean, it's hard to sort of censor out the. You're around my, like, we're around the same age. Like, that to you took you back to the 90s and it the was early the soundtrack. 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, it's the soundtrack of that era, absolutely. And I was, uh, look, 
I don't think those guys are upstanding models for everybody. I don't think they claim to be that. Like, I don't think Snoop Dogg yeah. goes around saying, I want, want people to be like me, and I think people should live like me. I do think that these guys were pioneers in a genre that, that, um, that gave birth to sort of what we have today. And one thing that struck me, right, my kids' generation, I have kids like 20, 21, 19, whatever, and they're sitting there laughing at us. Like, oh, who are these old guys? You know, they don't yeah. know much about it. And I'm thinking back to the year that Paul McCartney did the halftime show. It was in the Jacksonville Super Bowl. And I was there thinking, like, why Paul McCartney? Who is this guy? I mean, I knew who he was, but I'm saying, like, why Paul McCartney? So, and all these people were around me going crazy about Paul McCartney performing. Now I've become those people, you know, because yeah. to them, that's like old age. We're the old, we're the old guys now. Yeah, I had but my... That, that uh, was, I, I, didn't, I thought it was a logical choice simply because of the Los Angeles connection you know the 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 death row connection to the to the entire west coast of, of rap and the like and at the end of the day look yeah i i don't know i mean i'm not saying these are people that i think we should be nominating for you know presidential medal of freedom or something i'm not i'm not that's not what i'm saying i am saying that that music is reflective of things that were happening in this country, particularly during that period of time and you see it it's reflected in their lyrics but it's also reflected in, and and you know I mean, this guy's made a career out of this. Not just the music anymore. It's the—I don't know if you ever got to watch his commentary with Kevin Hart during the Super Bowl. That would do these side commentary things. That's one. Oh, the during the though. during the Olympics, yeah, it was pretty sorry, good. During the Olympics, on my apologize. Yeah. yeah, they were really good. I mean, this guy's made a. The other people, you know, Ice Cube. People don't talk about him. Ice Cube's created a career as an actor. I mean, this guy's got a legitimate acting career that he's built on. Uh, everything he's done, and so um, yeah. Look, I, you're, that's a long answer to your question. Yes, I, I think we've lost the capacity, right, to say, okay, I like, I like uh, something, you know, and I don't get caught up in all the other things that are around it. Like I can bifurcate two things and say, just because I love the music or I like the performer doesn't mean I agree with everything they should hear about. I can separate those two things. Yeah, my argument has been, I wish that everybody had the freedom that rappers do in their creative space because I'm so fired up, and we talk a lot about it on the show. Uh, at the idea that artists would be trying to censor other artists. So Joe Rogan is an artist of sorts with his show. The idea that Neil Young would somehow find it to be valedictory for him to say, you shouldn't be able to say what you're saying. It used to be artists would protect other artists, uh, even going back in rap, you know, in the two live crew uh, Supreme court case and all those things. And, it's it's wild where we've ended up where I feel like every day is basically the Internet's a blame factory and I, I see who's trending and I'm like, oh, what did they say now? Because I feel like everybody's trying to get canceled. I mean, I'm sure you saw Michelle Tafoya stepped right off the sideline, went on Tucker Carlson, actually shared her political opinions and almost immediately just she was trending all over Twitter. She's not even on Twitter. Uh, and uh, and people were were going after her because she didn't have the expected or appropriate opinions for somebody who was in sports media. Yeah, I, and I think that's the problem. That's the thing we've lost in this country is is the understanding that the, that free speech, you know, your free speech has a price, and the price of it is other people's free speech. Okay, and so um, and that's what's happened now, right? So so I think what it's done is it has a bunch of people sort of feeling boxed in. Like, you are afraid. I mean, you are terrified. Most people are terrified, on a day, depending on what your profession is, on a daily basis, that you are one sentence, you know, one old comment made a long time ago in a different context away from ruining your life. I mean, I know a lot of parents that live terrified. You know, some 15-year-old has multiple social media accounts. You shut them down. They open up a new one. And you're just terrified that one day somewhere they'll link, like, say something that a 15-year-old might say, and that's it. I mean, at 14 or 15 years of age, they're, they're going to get – some college is going to say, I won't admit you, and they're going to get ruined and things of this nature. So I think that's part of it. And it's gotten to the point of hysteria, right? It's to, so you, I, I think of all the things in the world that people should not be offended by as a podcast, because a podcast is not like it's like a radio broadcast, you know? And even that shouldn't terrify people. You just change the, the station or whatever. With a podcast, you have to take active steps to, like, find it, turn it on, and listen to it, right? So if there's a podcast that offends you, it's very easy to avoid it. In fact, you've got to really work hard not to, to actually interact with it. So I don't understand that, and, 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 but that's what we've gotten to. And it's funny. You mentioned um, to live crew, Luther Campbell is actually a high school football coach in South Florida. That's right. And I've, interact, and I've interacted with him quite a bit over time, and um, – 
you know, and I've actually joked with them about it because I don't know, it was about a month ago, we had a group of people here and I don't know what I was asking something about. Um, um, I forgot what it was, but the Alexa was on and it heard us. The lyrics came on and I'm sprinting to the Alexa to unplug it from the power so that, um, so that you know, those <laughs> lyrics started playing. And I joked with them about it. And, and you talk about his case. His case was a sheriff in Broward that didn't want him to perform, and he took it all the way to the Supreme Court and, and won And uh, on that front. So, look, I think there is a huge amount of building resentment towards all this counter, counts, count, cancel culture and, and, and things of this nature. How it manifests itself over the next few years, I don't know. But I think people are starting to see that, I mean— you're, they're, we're running out of people to cancel and things to get outraged by, and it's really uh, – I think there's going to be a real snapback against it. How do we get out of it? That's the question that I get asked so often by so many different people, by the way, of all different political stripes and circumstances, because one of the things that I think is becoming quite clear is you mentioned the, the idea of a 15-year-old, right? I've got a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old. And you well remember, and everybody out there listening who has ever been a 14 or 15-year-old, you do a lot of stupid things, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Black, White, Asian, Hispanic. There's a lot of parents out there terrified that their kid's going to do something on social media that's going to cause a major uproar and turn into a freaking national story. I mean, you saw what happened to the Covington Catholic kid uh, for just going to Washington, D.C. on a school field trip and standing on the steps. How do we get out of it? How, how do we come through and and emerge sane on the other side from what feels like a uh, a a true moment of insanity in the country. Well, I don't think there's a political answer to it. I think there's a m- much of what we're seeing in this country is a, is a cultural uh, problem um, and and social problem, social cultural problem. And uh, I always tell people that like politics reflects our culture; it's not the other way around, you know. And so that that that's the first point we have to understand. There's right? so not some law you're going to pass that fixes this. I think it has to be the growing awareness of people that this is just too much already. Like I'm done with it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to hear about it. Don't ask me to be outraged by so and so. I think it has to start with people just sort of refusing to play along with this stuff, just refusing to play along with it. Uh, the return of common sense, you know, explaining to people, look, you, you have, you, we have to stop judging 12, 13 and 14 year olds. Like if they're 40 year olds. And, and also I think a little bit of the acceptance, I always tell people this, like you have to let your kids make mistakes and fail. Now, you know, am I going to let them, you know, run a car over the side of a, of a, of a, you know, a cliff or something? No, you're not going to let them do terrible mistakes that are life altering. But if people are not a lot, you can't build resiliency if you don't if you don't interact with you know uh, uh, the challenges and adversity and mistakes. You're just not. And I mean, part of growing up is making mistakes. And I'm not encouraging mistakes, but those are teaching lessons and things you have to go through in order to become an adult. What happens is if you don't let kids make mistakes, if you don't have, if you don't let them lose, if you don't let them fail, if you don't let them have adversity, then what you end up with is a 21, 22, 23 year old person that's incredibly fragile. That at any time they interact with anything that's challenging, uh, they can't they can't confront it. They're, they're not resilient. They can't deal with it, and and then they turn around and want people are coming and take care of it for them, right? So I really don't like what this person's saying. Please silence them for me, as opposed to this person's an idiot. That's his opinion. I don't care. It didn't impact my life. And you move on. Let him say whatever he wants. And that, that, that I think, is just part of a broader problem we're having, and that is we spend and, – and it's natural, right? But we spend so much time sheltering people from the uncomfortable that um, when they have to finally interact with it as an adult um, – they haven't built the capacity to do it, and and uh, and and so they're demanding the authorities step in and, and just silence it and crush it. That's also important, I think, for why sports matters to so many kids out there. Uh, is it helps you develop that ability to lose and work hard and keep coming back. Where do you think you would be if you hadn't ever played football? How would it how well, would it have changed your life? Look, that's a really good question. That's a great question. The reason why I care about, and it doesn't have to be sports. I, I honestly believe that kids have to be good at something or try to be, work to be good at something at a very young age. And it's not just at school. All these lessons, all these virtues that people want to teach, you've got to apply them or you're not developing them. And sports, to me, is a great teacher of that. It doesn't have to be sports. It could be, I imagine, any other thing. But, but it has to be something that teaches you one of the most important things in life. Number one is there's, you have to show up on time. Uh, that's the hard to I mean, get up in the morning and go somewhere and be there on time. If you if you figure that part out, you know that's fifty percent of life right there. Yep. Number two is 
I want to achieve something. Like, I want to get from here to there. That's my goal. Because there's a difference between, you know, people. there are people that have ambitions, and then there are people that have a, a drive to fulfill that ambition. You can have ambition, but if you don't have the drive, it's not going to happen. So you have a goal in mind, whatever that goal might be, and that has a price. Just like going to the store, you have a pay, pay a price to get something. If you want to get that, it has a price, and you have to pay that price to even have a chance to get it, right? So if your goal and athletics is a great place to learn it, I want to be the best football player I can be or, then, and, or I want to be the best at whatever I can be. Now I have to apply myself and do the things I have to do and give up some things in order to achieve that. And learning that model early is what you're going to use for the rest of your life. And I think that you asked me how sports impacted me. It wasn't athletic success. I was not a successful athlete. I was not someone that was going to ever play at another level and anything of that nature. But I learned that if I wanted to achieve something or I wanted to be a part of something, there are things I couldn't do and there are things I had to give up and there are things I had to do that I may not have wanted to do in order to be a part of it and to achieve it. And, and learning that when I was 16, 17, 18, 14, 15, you know, for that matter, is what I think I took away from sports and has helped me every step of the way. So, you know, that's why for me it's like when, when I lose – whether it's running for president or some bill I couldn't get passed or, you know, some disappointment in life, the way I view it is, all right, I got to go back on Monday and study the film and see what went wrong and improve from it and get better and apply it the next time I face a situation like this. I think that's the lesson I've taken from sports and, and that I hope you know, my kids will take away from, from sports. What's it like to run for president and not win? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I mean, the campaign, I met a lot of great people. I made friends all across the country. I learned a lot about America. I was exposed to parts of America and things about America. You know, I'm, I'm an enormous believer in the American dream. And so for me, it was shocking to go out and talk to people that weren't nearly as optimistic, not because they didn't love the country, but because, you know, their dad and their grandfather had both worked at some factory somewhere, but that factory left. And now there's no jobs in that community. And Everyone's telling them to go you know, to college and become a software engineer, and that's not what they want to do. So there's no job for them. So there's real anger about why that's happening. Um, you learn about the fact that oftentimes in life, you know, things, you know, they're just like in sports. You know, one or two things outside of your control in some cases um, determine the outcome, and that's just the way it is. Um, so I was a lot of fun. It wasn't fun not to win. But but I but I enjoyed every second of it, in ter- other than obviously the, you know the outcome, and uh, but I learned a lot from that process. Uh, I, I think I'm a better senator because I ran for president because I was exposed to issues, ideas, and parts of the country and issues across the country that I really could never have known about had I not been there, visited, and had to interact with people. And um, so you know, look, it's a lot of work. Like I said, it's a unique process. Um, I think I actually I ran in a very unique electoral uh, environment with uh, Trump running and it was kind of this pivot moment in, in American political history. And, um, you know, but, but I don't regret it for one second. I think it made me, you know, it's a lot of hard work, but it made me, you know, better all the way around. I know you're running for the Senate now and 2024 is going to be its own animal, but is there a part of you down the road that would be interested in running for president again? Yeah, look, once you've run for president, you obviously have an interest. And for me, the interest was if I can do things in the Senate, those same things, I could probably do, I can do as a president even more, right? Because presidents have the ability to influence things even more than a single senator can on most issues. I think the one thing I appreciate now a lot more than I did maybe in 2015 or 16 is it's not just about wanting to do it. It's about an environment. So I always say to people, like, if you imagine you're the world's greatest surfer with the most, you know, advanced surfboard possible and you practice really hard, but if there aren't waves, I don't care how good a surfer you are. You can't surf if there's no waves. You could, you have to, have, and you don't control whether there's waves or not. And I think it's the same when it comes to politics. Sometimes it's not just that you want to run or that you'd be a good president, but is that the right time for someone like you um, and what you're about? Is the timing, is the environment right? And so that's the one thing I think I've come to appreciate more uh, about politics than you know. I think I can point to a lot of people that have won presidential elections and say they wouldn't have won had they won had they ran four years earlier or eight years earlier. So. And I think that's the part I just don't know if that environment's ever going to be there for someone who uh, – and, and in addition to that, whether that aligns with whatever's going on in my personal life at that moment, you know, my family or health, whatever, things you don't control and can't predict. You were talking earlier about working on NIL. Uh, I know you are, I believe, a Florida Gator fan um, in terms of uh, of college football. 
Um, and uh, how do you see this playing out? Because I, I'll give you a story. I had a conversation recently with some guys who are raising money. I grew up a big University of Tennessee fan. And they said, for instance, Arch Manning. Um, and I know Cooper pretty well. He's an awesome guy uh, who is Arch's dad. And Arch is a five-star quarterback recruit for people yep. who might be listening to us, not familiar, the nephew of Eli and Peyton Manning. Uh, Cooper is the oldest bro of, of Archie's sons. Um, they said he could get $10 million in NIL. Uh, that's how much demand there is for him. The Texases, the Alabamas, the Georgias, I think maybe LSU. There's a bunch of different teams that are fighting as hard as they can to try to sign Arch Manning. Is is a quarterback getting millions of dollars going to fundamentally change the fabric of college football? Should there be a universal rule? Um, how would you, if you had a magic wand, deal with the impact of NIL as it spreads across the college football landscape? Well, I think a couple things that are inevitable. The first is I think that genie cannot be put back in the bottle. Okay, so that that there's just no way to put that back. And at the end of the day, that's just gonna you can't have an industry that's generating. You know, billions of dollars, you know, and, and tens of millions of dollars for for an organization, and yet the people around it not demand. Hey, you know, at some point I want a piece of it. We are a capitalist, free enterprise society. So you, there comes a point where that's just a fact, and you can't put that genie back. So yes, I think it's going to fundamentally alter football. I think there are some athletes that are going to garner that type of. Uh, attention of overwhelming majority of athletes playing at that level are not going to qualify for that. They maybe they'll all get a two thousand dollar or one thousand dollar a month, you know, NIL deal, but really not that level. And I think they're fine with it. Everybody understands they're at a different point. Here's what I think ultimately happens, and I think it happens before, maybe before the end of this decade. I think the big, the five major conferences are going to finally wake up and realize we don't need the NCAA. What do we need the NCAA for? I mean, they're not. We have our own TV contracts. The only thing that the NCAA is for us is, is a pain. All they do is come up with rules and try to enforce it and try to govern us and so forth. And I think they're going to break away. And I think they're going to create their own league separate from the NCAA, at least the five major conferences. This is why I think you're seeing them all trying to expand and grow and geographically. And I think once that happens, what you're going to be left with is that, whatever that entity is, the big five conferences, that level of college football, and then the rest of it are just going to be like, you know, normal, regular college football. And I think that's, what, that's where we're headed. And I think that's what the conferences are positioning and posturing towards. And I think at that point, that NIL deal, the one thing I would do immediately is I would allow, you know, the schools to be involved in this process. Because right now it's the Wild West. The schools in most many states can't be involved at all. And so right. you've got these athletes in the hands of these street agents or even agents. But the schools can't be – look, and the, all these schools have community outreach. They're the uh, program offices. They're, these are the, the offices that help these kids do community service, you know, do the, the turkey giveaway, you know, whatever it is they're doing in the community. And that they should be allowed to also work with these kids to identify NIL deals and to make – you know, to be involved in which ones are good, which ones are not, and so forth. But and that's my view of it. I don't know how you put this genie back in the bottle at this point. And, um, and I ultimately think the one more point I would make is there's going to come if – you, if you have you know, a million dollars or let's say half a million dollars in name, image, and likeness deals, I could see where a school says to them, look, you don't need the scholarship. Let me use the scholarship on a kid that doesn't have those deals and you know, use your NIL scholarship to pay for part of your tuition. You still have another half a million dollars of pocket change. And that way I can use that scholarship on a kid that may not have those deals to bring them into the, to the program. So you're going to have a lot of what would have traditionally been known as walk-ons, but with a, you know, $1 million in name, image, and likeness deals, they don't need the scholarship. And that scholarship can then go to someone that they're trying to recruit or bring in. And um, I think that's kind of where we're headed now. Um, you know, I think you'll see that here in the next four to five years. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Tired of restless nights? 
Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We're talking to Marco Rubio, Senator from Florida. Um, I mentioned earlier what your high school uh, football career was like. Everybody, I, this, this is to the point earlier about sports and instilling some measure of character by, by challenging yourself. Everybody has a moment where they recognize, hey, I'm probably not going to be a pro athlete. I say everybody. There's a tiny pinprick of people that actually end up being pro athletes. And everybody has that realization at different ages if you don't go on to being pro, right? Some of us are out there and you're like, you know, 11 or 12 years old and you look around and you think, boy, I'm the 12th best player on my little league team. The odds of me being a major league baseball player are low, but you can still love the game. Did you have a moment of realization when, as a football player, you were like, boy, I'm not going to be able to play in the NFL. I'm not going to necessarily be able to go to a high-level uh, high level school. I was having this conversation with my wife the other day because she was like, man, all these kids, because you do different levels, you travel, whatever, the kids all have this dream, and then slowly they all become aware of it, and you end up going pro in something other than sports, which is the good tagline, I think, for the NCAA that is true for most people even in college athletics, was there a moment in time where you thought, hey, I'm not going to be an NFL player. I better find something else that I can be good at. Do you remember having that moment of realization? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. And I mean, before I address that point, I don't want to forget it. I want to make one point that's related to what you're saying. And that is I'm, I'm involved a lot. Like I have been for a long time with a lot of young people recently graduated from high school, some already in college, some playing with my son, others, you know, a little bit younger than him. And the one thing I tell them about sports is, Everybody, you're playing a game. This is a kid's game. And there comes a point in everyone that's playing where someone comes to you and says, you can't play anymore. Now, for some yep. people like Tom Brady, that happens you know, later. They get to decide when that moment is. For other people, it happens at 16, 17, 18, 19. For some people, it happens after three or four years in the league. Someone's going to come to you and say, you can't play anymore. We're not, you're done. So it's decided for you. So at that moment, what happens? So you've got to be prepared for that moment and what you do next. Now, that moment for me, you know, came basically, I went to play football at a small school in Missouri called Tarkio College. It isn't even open anymore. And I'm sitting there and it's cold and there's like less people on the stands at our games than there are at our high school games. And frankly, I think my high school, my high school team, which was a pretty good high school team, especially my junior year, might have even been able to beat this college team. And I'm sort of thinking to myself, um, I'm here halfway across the country, going to graduate or get a bunch of credits that may not even transfer when the time comes to leave this place if it goes under. I'm, you know, 5'9", 170 pounds. I run a, you know, 4'7", maybe 4'6", 5 on a good day in the 40s. 
there's just not a lot of people with those measurable measurables uh, playing in the National Football League, and uh, much less you know at any program of much larger than this one. And it's time, you know, you got the fork in the road is, and you got to make a decision. So for me, it was kind of a gradual realization of, look, this just ain't going to happen. Like, it, I need to start, like, life is real now. It needs to happen. So I was, it was there in Missouri, probably in December of, or January, my first year in college, that I sort of realized, like, I need to get back to Florida and go to school and get a degree because, I mean, number, the numbers just don't lie. I mean, if you're 5'9", 170, you're, you better be running a 4'3", or 4'2", I mean, it's, I think I don't, forgot one of my coaches told me, like, the smaller you are, the faster you better be. There has to be something you, just to have a chance to play at a bigger college, not to mention at the higher level. So, look, that moment came then, and it'll come for everybody at some point. And some of it is by choice, and some of it, you know, is, is a choice. Some of it is, is imposed on you by reality. And, and that's fine. That's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, I've always viewed, this is what I always told my son and our kids is, Playing football teaches you all these lessons and allows you to get into a school that you might not have been able to get to on your grades alone and for free. I mean, we just won the lottery. You get to play a game, and that, that game has allowed you to learn these lessons and go to a school you can't otherwise get into, perhaps, and, um, and, and they're going to pay for it. I mean, what more can you ask for at that point? You know, and, and, um, and obviously that's not true for everybody. Some kids, I do think, have the ability. But if, going back to the presidential talk, that's not just on them. For a lot of these people, is are you drafted by the right team in the right circumstances, and do you not start suffering injuries? Because and what position do you play? Because I think, look, if you're a quarterback that has some attributes, they're going to give you a little longer to develop. If you're a running back, that's disposable, man. Running backs, I mean, I mean these guys, I mean they're they're they've become disposable. I mean they're going through them. They're not even drafting them high anymore. So a lot of it depends on that too. There's just a lot of factors you don't control that determine how far and how long you can play. If you weren't a senator, if you hadn't gone into politics, what do you think you would do? That's a great question. I mean, I think there's a couple things I probably would have wanted. I mean, I've always, you know, I always would like to say, all right, if I could live in some alternate universe and have two be two people, right? I would love to have been in the front office of because uh, I love the process of sort of identifying talent and putting the right talent next to each other. It's not just about building people that are you can put in time, but putting together all star teams, but putting together the right mix of players who complement one another and allow you to win games as a team. I love all of that. And so that's what, that's what I think maybe I would be doing. If I, I don't know if I'd be any good at it, but that's certainly something I think I, I would have wanted to have been a part of if I wasn't doing this. But, you know, I guess I'll just focus on Ukraine and stuff like that at this point. Because... <laughs> well, I, I, the people will be listening to this. One of the things I like doing for conversations like this is people can listen to them, you know, it can be hopefully just as enjoyable a year from now as it is right now. But as we're discussing what's going on, the situation in Ukraine literally hour by hour feels like it can be constantly shifting. You've obviously been briefed and, and updated on so many different things involving the Ukraine situation. What do you anticipate happening if you were sort of game theory wise playing out what Vladimir Putin's goals are here? Yeah, his goal is to take back parts are all of you know probably not all ukraine but parts of it and the reason is simple i mean if vladimir putin was on your podcast right now number one i think a lot of you know people would be turning in i would be intrigued i'd be intrigued to to talk with him there yeah yeah i see how good his english is and all that because i know he's uh he works on his english and so forth but but the other thing you would see he would basically say it this way to you and that is look uh, he's not, first of all, this guy's a Russian. He's not an American. He wasn't raised in the U.S. I mean, his his view of life in general and the Russian view of things in general is very different than the American viewpoint. As a country that's been invaded multiple times throughout its history, and you know that just impacts the culture and how it views things. And his mindset is, power. We Russia should be a powerful country. Should be one of the world's most powerful countries. As and powerful countries have a right to have a sphere of influence, to basically have some area of the world where they dominate, not necessarily govern those countries directly, but at least have leaders and societies that are loyal to them. And he believes that Eastern Europe should be part of their, there should be a sphere of influence for Eastern Europe, you know, response to Russia. China would argue that they want that in the Pacific. I think Iran believes that they should be that in the Middle East to some extent. And, and then, you know, the United States can have the Western Hemisphere. He wouldn't care, um, you know, because he says you guys have de facto have that now, right, with Canada and Mexico and Caribbean and so forth with some exceptions. That's what he would argue. So Ukraine's a part of it. It's the, one of the largest countries in Europe. It was a 
keep part of the Soviet Union. A lot of Soviet leaders came from Ukraine. And so this whole notion that Ukraine is a separate country or a separate people to him is not, it would be in his mindset, it would be like saying, hey, you know, Texas is its own country and Texans should be allowed to break away from the United States and do whatever they want. That's what he would say to us. So that's why I believe he will go in. And maybe by the time this thing airs, he will have gone in at some level. He'll find some excuse for having done it. And he's going to install some puppet government that's loyal to him and make sure that Ukraine never is a part of the European Union or NATO. That's It's pretty straightforward. That's kind of like the direction he's headed. Do I think he'll stop there? No. I think his next move is to try to force NATO to remove troops from every country, and it's like 13 countries that have been added since 1997. Um and, um, and and then I think he'll have felt like, you know, he'll go down in history as the guy that restored, you know, great Russia to great uh, global to a great global power status. Uh, I know that you spend a lot of time and have over your life in South Florida with a variety of different people who have come to the United States to escape socialism, to escape oppression. And I think that in many ways kind of ties in with the question we just asked about Ukraine. We saw in 2020 those people overwhelmingly break in the direction of Donald Trump and in the direction of the Republican Party. Do you expect for that to continue to accelerate? We uh, we mentioned Axios and the problems that the Democratic Party has with, for lack of a better term, the catch-all of woke politics that have kind of infected and taken over that party. What are the people in South Florida who have come to America because of America's excellence and opportunity say to you when you're out on the campaign trail and do you think that acceleration of the hispanic vote certainly in south florida but maybe even around the country is going to continue to move in the direction of the republican party yeah as long as the republican party's responsive to the things that that people uh, like that are thinking about because the two things the first is i know we we, we have i think we're going to learn here at some point that ethnicity or even the color of your skin is not what determines how people vote, right? So when you when people say, oh, look at the Hispanics that have flipped over, yeah, there's some aspect of their experience, right? They came from or their parents came from a country that went far left, and you're trying to convince them that America's sort of this terrible place, and they're like, no, 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 I know what a terrible place looks like. This is not a terrible place, and why would you screw this up? You guys have a great place. So there's no doubt that there's that aspect. But the one that I think people don't really entirely embrace is the Hispanic community, their primary identity on an hourly and daily basis, and certainly on a political basis, is that they're a working class, small business owner. That, 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 that's their identity. And so, you know, people, working class people that didn't go to Harvard or Yale and don't listen to CNN or follow Twitter on a daily basis, they think some of the stuff is insanity. They think it's insanity. And, um, and they rebel against it. But it's not because they're Hispanic. It's because they're working class or small business owners. And, and, and that's their identity. And so I think what you're going to continue to see here is that that vote is going to increasingly resemble the vote of working class people across the country of every ethnicity, of every race, uh, of every background, uh, because their primary identity is not their ethnicity. It's the fact they get up in the morning and go to work somewhere, either in their own small business or to provide for their families. And the, some of the people that are in charge seem to live on another planet. And, and, um, and, and I think that, that, that's what you're seeing evidence of, and I think that trend is going to continue as long as the uh, Democratic Party is held hostage by a group of committed revolutionary Marxists who want to fundamentally just, you know, tear down the country and rebuild it into something very different. Well, last question for you. Uh, last night, I know I said I want this to be timeless in some ways, but I do think this question is kind of timeless. We talked a lot about sports with you. Uh, the transgender issue is something that OutKick has been covering, and we've certainly been talking about a lot on Clay and Buck. And right now there is a University of Pennsylvania men's swimmer who decided to become a woman that is poised to set all-time records for women swimmer, again, biological male swimming as a, uh, as a woman. Uh, it's as if the world of sports is afraid to even touch it. You know, the ESPN which covers the intersection of sports and politics all the time. I can't tell you the number of times I heard, hey, so-and-so athlete is not going to go to the Trump White House as if it were a lead sports story. They basically ignored it. Um, what should happen in the world of, uh, of sports? And I think this could be an interesting you know, sort of breaking point because what it represents, Senator, to me is you have to choose a side, right? You're either in favor of Title IX and women's athletics and, 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 and women being able to 
achieve the highest level in their sport or you are uh, going to allow a biological man to potentially come in and set all-time records. And we talked earlier about how many people feel like they can't speak out. We talked to a lot of the girls on this team. We did a story for them at OutKick. And Senator, they said, hey, we're not even willing to use our own names here because we want to go to grad school, because we want to go get jobs, and we're afraid of the top Google result for our name being so-and-so is transphobic. They said, that's not what this is about, but we've spent our entire lives trying to compete to win championships, and now this biological man is coming in, and he's dominating uh, in women's sports. How crazy is it that we've reached this point in athletics? Well, I think the crazier part is not that we've reached the sport in athletics, is that we've reached a point in our culture where simple physiological and biological facts were being asked to ignore them. Okay, one thing is a difference of opinion, and the other thing is it's just absolutely insisting that everybody must ignore physiological and biological facts established uh, in, in science. You know, and we've got to believe in science for some things and not in others. It, it, men and women are different. One is not better than the other. They're equal in the eyes of God. They're equal in the eyes of the law. They have the same rights, but they are. there's differences. There are things uh, that physiologically most women can do better than most men and vice versa. And, and you see it time and again in athletics. Clearly, a man is, is if you look at the 100-meter times of men versus women in, in, in track, men's times are generally faster than women's. Is there a really fast woman that's faster than the slowest man? Yeah, I'm sure there is. But we're talking about, by and large, the rules of the road and the engagement. So what we've set up a situation now where if someone says, I identify as a woman, even though you're a man in every way, I mean, according to the rules these people have created, you know, if LeBron James says, I want to play in the WNBA, they're going to have to let him play in the WNBA. And I assure you, if he played in the WNBA, he would quickly, you know, hold every record that league's ever set, and he would dominate those games. Not because he's a better human being or a more important human being, but because he has physiological advantages over the people he's playing against. By the way, those things extend even in, even within the, the the gender. So there's a reason why we break up boxing and mixed martial arts in, into into weight classes. Um, because you know Floyd Mayweather may be a great fighter, but you know if you put him in a ring with Mike Tyson in his prime, it's not going to be a very good fight because the, the heavier guy has some physiological advantages. And I don't care if Mike Tyson identified as a middleweight. They weren't going to let him fight as a middleweight because he would hurt a middleweight because he was bigger, stronger, and, and was able to impose himself. And so I just think we've got to get back to that realization. And, and, and I think what, the one thing we've lost the capacity is to say, the one thing is to say, look, okay, I get it. You identify as a woman. You, you want to, you're in the process of change, changing your gender through all kinds of treatment. I don't know anything about that stuff, man, but I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect because you're a human being and you deserve that and, you know, and the laws should protect you as much as anybody else. But what you can't do is you can't impose that on everybody else. This is, not, this is no longer about just respecting the individuals. It's now about imposing the views of one group on everybody else and forcing, telling everybody else, everybody must now change the way you live, work, and do sports because some people feel this way. That, that's, that's, that's the point where you get at right now, and that's where the point we're at right now. And, um, you know, I don't think how, I don't know how this thing works itself through, but uh, but it, it starts getting absurd. I think that's what's going to happen is you're going to start to see absurdity that uh, that will be impossible to ignore or you're going to destroy women athletics. Senator Marco Rubio, I've really enjoyed the chat. We'll have to get together at some point uh, in the future, maybe when we're in D.C. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope your Gators have some good luck, but not too much good luck, um, because uh, at some point I'd like for Tennessee to beat Florida hey, we're, we're, we're in the once every 20 20- <laughs> We're in the mix you guys are now watch yeah 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 let me tell you if he's watching now i mean i mean he's listening i don't know if he's listening somebody's listening. Listening. i mean i don't even know i don't want to violate any ncaa rules or whatever so um because i'm an alumni of the school and all that but um but you know, florida's now in the running i hadn't even seen that absolutely. the most recent oh, yeah, update yeah. yeah no absolutely. have you met billy napier choice. yet by the way i have not i have not but i hear great things about him and um and i think you know uh florida in our facilities, uh, people, I mean, are going to be second to none. So, um, uh, look, I mean, if you're listening now, March, I mean, I just think Florida's <laughs> a good choice. I mean, just check it out, man. Uh, that is Marco Rubio making his play for Arch Manning. I appreciate the time, my man. Have a good uh, weekend and uh, and a good time uh, figuring out hey. what's going to happen here as we roll towards the midterms. Yep. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm Clay Travis. This has been Wins and Losses.
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.